This is Choni's Circle. I'm Tamara Lubicki. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose. And on Choni's Circle, we are going to explore Jewish texts from the Torah through the Talmud and lots of traditional commentaries to grapple with climate change, to help us process our emotions about climate change and about this particular moment, um, and to help us try to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. So we'll start with a text from Parshat Noach from Genesis chapter 7, where it tells us, perhaps somewhat familiarly, the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. That same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japhet, went into the ark with Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons. They and all beasts of every kind, all cattle of every kind, all creatures of every kind that creep on the earth, and all birds of every kind, every bird, every winged thing. They came to Noah into the ark, to each of all flesh in which there was breath of life. Thus they that entered comprised male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him. And Adonai shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth, and the waters increased and raised the ark so that it rose above the earth. So that's obviously near the beginning of the flood story and might be a little bit familiar. Um, But a close reading of this text actually reveals a little bit of a problem. So the very beginning, we read, The rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. But then towards the end of that section, we read, The flood continued 40 days on the earth. I think often we conflate the rain and the flood and sort of see that as a 40 days, 40 night event that includes both the raining and the flooding. But our text actually has those separately, right? First we hear about the rain and then we hear about the flood continuing for 40 days. Um, So Rashi, perhaps the best known medieval commentator on the Torah, uh, picks up on that sort of repetition of, of 40 days, first with the rain and then with the flood, and asks about that, sort of wondering why there's that repetition and what the difference might be, and answers, Elak shehoridan, horidan berachamim, that when God caused the rain to start to fall, God brought that rain down with mercy, that actually this rain was not a punishment, um, right? We tend to think of the flood story as a story of punishment, which ultimately it becomes. But Rashi's imagining that the initial rain is actually a rain of blessing, the kind of rain that nourishes the earth. She'im yachzeru yihiyu gishmei bracha, that if the people repented, the rain would be rain of blessing, But when they didn't repent, that's when it became a flood. That's when the rain actually shifted and became destructive. Um, And that's why we get the repetition, starting with the rain and then it becoming a flood later. Right. So you titled this The Waters of Blessing and Destruction when you made it a source sheet. 
And what was your thinking? Like, how did this tie in with climate change and what we're experiencing? Well, I love the way that Rashi really points out the reality that so many of our weather patterns can be experienced in the right time, in the right proportion as blessing, as the thing that we need to be nourished and to thrive. And those same weather patterns in the wrong quantity or the wrong season or the wrong place can actually be really destructive. And that that just feels so true in the moment that we're in. Um, And sometimes actually, right, it's even more complicated than that in that the things that we need um, that are nourishing and are ultimately blessings don't always feel like that in the moment, right? Like we might prefer a sunny day to a rainy day. And so I think in particular with climate change and sometimes with milder winters or things like that, it can be tempting to see something that's actually destructive as a blessing, right? It might it might feel physically more comfortable, but I think this text is like a helpful reminder of sort of, of parsing those things. You know, what actually, what is a blessing and what is destructive? Right. And for me, you know, what came up and why I really love that we are doing this text first is... I think for us humans, most of what climate change is practically is how the hotter air affects water. So the increase in droughts. So I think one of the reasons why in Jewish tradition rain is seen so positively, like we have blessings for rain, we have a whole calendar when it should rain, when it shouldn't, is, you know, coming from the tradition of living in Israel rain is so important and we are we have a historical familiarity with drought and we kind of like keep that memory of drought always with us Um, and now in the world if you you know read the news and look around drought is a reality and so water is seen as a blessing to counteract the drought but on the other hand we have this flood story and we're seeing a lot of floods and destructive floods as well Yeah, to me, like, climate change is drought, it's flooding, it's forest fires that are caused by very dry conditions, it's sea level rise, so it's almost always tied to water. And what's very cool about Jewish tradition is we have so much lore and memory and, like, storytelling about, yeah, when we don't have enough water and when we have too much water, so... It really resonates in that way. For sure. I'll add also, it's really interesting to me. I think when I was a kid and sort of learning all of these Jewish texts about water and the centrality of water um, and praying for rain and appreciating rain, there was real learning that had to happen. That sort of the default was to appreciate a warm, sunny day. And to really have to like counteract that, right? That my teachers had to be like, no, like it seems like sunshine is really nice, but actually like rain is really important. And like, here's why. Um, and a lot of sort of uh, almost like forced learning about the importance of rain and water. <laughs> right. Um, it didn't come naturally to you. They not had a, to be like, we're adults. We know rain is important. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It did not come naturally at all. But I'm seeing now in 2022 with the students that I teach, 
because I think of climate change, there's much more awareness about the importance of rain. Right? I don't mm. I don't actually need to teach my students that lesson or convince them that rain is important because they already know that. They're already picking that up from from following the news, from their from their lived experience right. um, of not having enough rain or having too much rain. You know, they're seeing both in their own lives and also in news coverage, they're seeing more and more sort of atypical weather events right. that really drill that home for them. Right. So in a way, it seems like kids today, because of climate change and all the coverage of like how the earth is changing and how people's relationship with the land is changing, like we're actually coming more to like the Torah or Talmud state of like being very aware of nature and being very aware of weather and seasons. For sure. So that's pretty interesting. For sure. For sure. And being really aware of a sense of precariousness. Right. Of not taking things for granted, um, of really hoping and praying for weather that is a blessing um, and not for weather, weather patterns that are more destructive. Right. Yeah. Another thing that popped out for me from this reading and how Rashi is like, well, first it's called rain, then it's called the flood. And there was like a time period in which it was good rain. And then the longer along things went, it became destructive. So to me, that really resonated with this idea of like, the longer we let these greenhouse gases build up in the atmosphere and the feedback loop gets stronger and stronger, the less of a chance we have to make things livable. Yeah, for sure. And so I think that that's a warning to us, certainly. But I think it's also, I think there's also a glimmer of hope here. Right, that actually we do have the power that wasn't actualized in Noah's generation, um, but we do have the power to actually change and do something differently and prevent that full shift from rains of blessing to a flood of destruction. Right. Um, right? I think in some ways this is a really powerful, perhaps inspiring, perhaps depressing, depending on your perspective, <laughs> look at what happens when people are sort of given the opportunity to change their behavior in a way that's going to bring about more livable conditions. And ultimately, Noah's generation fails that test. But I would like to believe that that doesn't mean that we have to fail it too. Right, right. And when I try to think of, like, what are the possible blessings of our time? Like you said, oh, maybe we'll have a milder winter, you know? (laughs) That, you know, maybe you could see some of those things as a blessing or... But again, it's more of there's a scientist, Catherine Hayhoe, that says we shouldn't call it global warming. We should call it global weirding just because like, well, maybe you'll have like a milder winter. Maybe you'll have more snow than you ever experienced in Seattle before. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's it's hard for us, as you said, with the like sort of very elementary conceptualization Mm -hmm. of the weather that maybe like as a kid you didn't like rain and you like sunshine it's like oh global warming means it's warmer well that's true but it's also sometimes colder or wetter or drier so (laughs) but yeah the blessing for me is like 
it kind of gives us an opportunity if we take it to think, how did we get here? What kinds of a society or like consumption patterns or resource extraction did we put in place that led us here? And I think it's possible for the blessing to be like being able to reconsider that, you know, putting into place ways of producing things or ways of farming, even appreciation of nature that we might not have put in before because it wasn't a crisis. So I like to think that there are possible blessings that could come out of it. Absolutely. I like that perspective. And I and I also wonder like what blessings we, God willing, might discover someday down the road. Right? One of the mm. things about reigns of blessing is the the fruit of that is not obvious immediately, right? It just feels wet. Um, but then, you know, days or weeks or months later when plants are growing better and there are crops to harvest and the ecosystem is healthier, that's not necessarily obvious right away. Um, right. So part of me wants to hold on also to the hope that Maybe there are some hidden blessings that wait for us down the line somewhere, too. Right, right. And, you know, the story of Noah's Ark is that the world was not completely destroyed. So I feel like that's also part of our tradition, this, like, really looking suffering and, like, human tragedy, like, right in the face, but always having also a kernel of hope, one hand acknowledging suffering and one hand having that hope. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really it's a really bleak story with a lot of destruction that ends with a promise that there won't be complete destruction, that there will be a chance to start over and that there will be life again. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose, the Associate Rabbi of Congregation Beth Shalom in Seattle. This podcast is a project of Congregation Beth Shalom and Ahavat Ve'avodat Adama, our community's environmental group. Choni's Circle was recorded in Seattle, Washington at Full Track Productions. It was produced by Tamara Labicki and Dave Dintenfass. With original music by Ella Labicki Feldman. Thanks for listening and learning with us.